so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Marriage and romantic relationships are severely misunderstood in our society. Sadly, they've been robbed of their God-ordained meaning. At our national conference, Matt Chandler joined us to talk about this topic in his message, The Mingling of Souls. We hope you're encouraged by the Bible's clear teaching on this subject. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Genesis uh, chapter 2. Although uh, we we won't kind of exegete this text, we will allow, uh, we will let this text kind of inform uh, us considering uh, what the Word of God has to say about families, what the Word of God has to say uh, about how we think about relationships between men and women of the romantic kind, uh, how we think about and look at sex. And if you're like, that sounds like a lot for 40 minutes, you're, you're right. Um, so, so let me uh, update some stats here. As of today, depending on how you search it, uh, there are 181,000 books on marriage, 31,000 books on dating, almost 13,000 books just on attraction, and over 200,000 books on sex at Amazon.com. So you, you can see that we're, like, we're interested in this thing. And then what I noticed, even it happened before and it happened again today, as I was searching, trying to kind of figure out, uh, okay, what, what are we really reading right now and looking at? And I'm, and I'm searching, and as I'm searching, there are these pop-up ads, not really pop-up ads, but they're just kind of these ads that are auto-filling as I'm searching relationship stuff about how to get a, a, a fast divorce, or uh, like one of them said, aggressive divorce. Like, is there another kind of divorce like, is there, is there like a sweet divorce that was going, uh, a kind divorce? So there are all of these. It's like while we're trying to find help for our relationships, it seems like the world's going, it's hopeless and we'll help you get out. Uh, and so re- really th- this, this thing where uh, there are hundreds of thousands of books on relationships and sex and marriage and attraction, there's this human draw towards it. It's pretty clear that we're not doing great at it. Uh, like for all of our desire to nail this, it, it seems like we keep getting in our own way. So you can't even try to seek out help without somebody going, you sure you want help or you just want to get out? Uh, and so what I, what I want to do, and, and really the, my angst around this subject is born uh, of pastoring uh, a church of what used to be a group of 20-something singles and has grown into a bunch of 30-somethings with a lot of kids has the difficulty, loss, sorrow, brokenness in that space has, has created me an angst to see the Holy Spirit of God do something significant in our congregation. And, and if it can flow out of that and bless other places, then praise 
the name of Jesus. In the middle of all of the brokenness, I, I think, man, the best news, and, and I know some of you are ministers and others of you are just um, uh, men and women that are here. Maybe you've come in today. I'm not naive. Maybe you've come in here today and you're doing that thing. God, help us. You're doing that thing where you're with your spouse and you're smiling and how are you? I'm blessed, sister. I'm blessed, brother. And, and really, you, you're, you're in a difficult space, a hard space, and maybe, maybe this is your Hail Mary right? And I'm not speaking catholically. I'm speaking football-wise, right? Uh, I'm just going to heave this up. And man, if God doesn't intervene in this space, then we, I don't know what else to do just, except just punt, which is another football reference and not a Catholic reference. So um, I, think, uh, I think the best hope for us when we think about relationships, when we think about marriage, when we think about sex, when we think about the collision of all of these things, I think the best news in the Bible is actually the first sentence in the Bible. I just think the best news for us, the thing that we can kind of get our minds and heart around is God's good design, that God's in this, that this isn't something that Satan jumped in on after God created and turned his back. Like he hopped in and kind of threw sex in there all of a sudden or he threw in, but, but that God actively has built something. And it's by thinking about that, considering that, letting the grace of Jesus through the Holy Spirit infiltrate that, that, that we have the best shot for living out the joy of God's good design. And, and the first sentence in the Bible, as you know, is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we get a description of how God goes about creating. But this is the text in particular I want you to look at. This is Genesis chapter two. We're gonna pick it up in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And if you write in your Bible, highlight in your device, I think one of the big keys is found there in verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And I think that verse is going to lay before us God's big plan for the man-woman relationship in the confines of marriage. And that has nothing to do with nudity, but I'll get there here in a moment. So I think it's important to note uh, around all of this, around male-female relationship, sex, marriage, the, the whole thing, it's important to note that God's right in the middle of this. We, we see in Genesis 1 and 2 that God makes the man. The Bible tells us he, he puts dirt together and he forms him and he forms all of him. Are you tracking with me when I say all of him? Right, he, he forms him in all of his masculinity. Right, his sexuality, that's God's idea. 
There's nothing in the text where God kind of builds a man, sands testosterone, a penis, and testicles, and walks away, and the devil's like, I got him, bam, right? That's not how this works. This is God's stuff. Like God does this, and he makes the man, and he makes the man like he wanted the man to be. He gives him a driving hormone, and that hormone is testosterone. That's not just biology. We as Christians know that God's underneath the biology, accomplishing his purposes. So when we read in Psalm 139 that God knit us together in his mother's womb, we're not fools. We, we know how babies are made. We're just saying something's going on underneath the biology. Yes, we know. Sperm, egg, we know how all that. But what's actually happening underneath that is the creator God of the universe is knitting, paying attention, putting together for the days that he has for that individual man, that individual woman, for all the days that he has for them, Right? So God puts together the man. And as we read in chapter two, God looks at it. He's like, yeah, no, man, this, uh-uh. Look, I'm gonna put you down for a little bit, bro. And, and then he pulls a rib and he makes the woman. And I wanna make the same point. He, he makes the woman out of the rib, but he makes her different than the man. He doesn't make another man. He, he doesn't say it's not good for this man to be alone. Let me give him one of his bros. It's not what he does. He doesn't go, what this guy needs is a good buddy. He says it's not good for him to be. He takes through and he makes the woman. And he doesn't give the woman a ton of testosterone. And he doesn't give, he gives, he shapes her differently. He gives her broader hips. He gives her softer, larger breasts. He, he gives her estrogen. Right? He, he gives her a, a uterus. It's God's, it's God's stuff. Right? The world doesn't own this. Satan doesn't own this. God has done this. And then you get this really in fact, it's one of my favorite moments in the Bible. We'll just stop for a second and use our sanctified imaginations. Adam, in creation, with the Lord, is naming all of creation. Which, how amazing would that be? If, you're, if you live in Dallas, you, can, you don't kind of can't, can't get that because it's just Dallas. But if you live in like a place that's beautiful with actual wildlife, not just labradoodles, but like legitimate <laughs> wildlife, not a genetically made creature, but like like... God stuff, like you've seen like an, uh, an elk in rut sea. If you've seen that kind of, and you're just like, wow, like Adam's naming all these animals. And, and there's almost this picture of despair starting to take over Adam. Not like me, not like me, not like me, not like me. For there was not found for Adam a helper suitable for him. And one of the heartbreaking things about this text is everyone wants to highlight just the difference. And yet what Adam says when he sees Eve in, in all of her splendor is, in essence, like me. Thank you, God, like me. Not, not, not like me, not like me, not like me. Ah, kind of like me, but he's, whoa, I mean, mine, out of me, like me. Finally, someone like me. And you see in this moment, God's big plan to put the man and woman together. To do what? To, to cultivate the garden, to push back darkness, to bring about order. It, it wasn't just man, go do this. It was man, go do this. You're gonna need help. I gotta give you like legitimate help and I'm gonna give you help in what's like you, not what's unlike you. And so for all of the focus on difference, what we're seeing here is the, the similarities, even in their differences, are necessary for God's big plan to push back darkness and establish his kingdom. I just wanna fight for God's big plan here. He says here that they're naked and unashamed. And I think in that sentence, you're getting the essence 
of what God wants for men and women. When I was a younger man, and I would even say a dumber man, I would always kind of like, oh, he saw a naked woman. He's like, whoa, all right? And, and yet, I, this has very little to do with his nu- her nudity, although I don't think Adam minded. But, but I think when the text says that they were naked and unashamed, that they're talking about the essence of their personhood. Nothing to hide. No guilt. No shame. No pretending to be more, no projections. Are you tracking with me? No, uh, maybe a psychologist would call, no ideal self. Do you know that language, ideal self? I'm gonna project what I think you need me to be. None of that in Genesis 1 and 2. Just Adam. Adam who needed help. Adam who couldn't do it on his own, right? And then, and then no, Eve, just Eve. They're naked and they're not ashamed. There's nothing that they want to hide from one another. So this is a unique moment where they're both face-to-face, but side-by-side. Are you tracking? So they're face-to-face in a deep intimacy because there's no reason to hide from one another, right? There's no secrets. There's no shame. There's no backstory. They've got union with Christ, and they're face-to-face with one another, intimate with one another, while simultaneously being side by side, given the command by God to handle the garden. So it's both face-to-face intimacy with side-by-side calling to work the garden, to fill the earth and subdue it. So what God has for the man and the woman is face-to-face intimacy with side-by-side partnership for the glory of God. And that's ultimately what marriage is all about. It's about a man and a woman given to one another in covenant love, filled with the Holy Spirit, serving God together as God wired them, designed them, and placed them. And and yet, I I find myself in in all of the thousands of hours, we've, we've got plenty of staff here from the village, thousands and thousands of hours every year spent in premarital counseling, in in marital crisis, in all the kind of things that happen in in our churches and in many of our lives. Man, wouldn't it be nice if it was still this easy? Like, right, if we were reading the story, right, wouldn't it be, right, like if if the Lord just like, like brothers just said, take a nap, I gotta help you. Just, you're really making a mess. Go ahead, just lay down. And then you woke up and there she was. I mean, how amazing would that be? And, and there was no reason to hide, no background that you felt ashamed of, just naked. And ladies, how incredible would this be? Clear intentions, clear naming. My, yes, you, no games. I'm with you. Let's do this garden thing, babe. I mean, just, it's all, like, how easy would this be? And, and so the, it's chapter three that blows this thing up. You know that, right? It, it's like, I had a person tell me one time, I was talking about the depravity of man, which you don't start at the depravity of man. You always start with Genesis one and two, but talking about the depravity of man and some, some woman in the crowd was like, ah, the Bible says that he made it good. And I'm like, oh, he did make it good, but there's this thing that happens in three. And then after three, it just really gets really nasty. Um, and so in three, this rhythm, this harmony that we're talking about, this naked and unashamed breaks in an instant and it fractures everything. And I think, Few of us spend the kind of time thinking about just how far the effects of sin's insidious presence fractured God's good design. I I mean, I think it fractured it all the way down to our genetic codes. I mean, think about how quickly this happens. I mean, Adam just sang a song. I I wish we could do more textual. Like Adam was just like, finally, like me. Whoa, I mean, the woman 
Thank you, Jesus. And then just like 12 verses later, he's, God's going to be like, who told you you were naked? That, wom- that, that woman? The woman you gave me, that, that's on her. I didn't do it. I mean, how quickly does he turn on the one he was just so grateful for? Right? That, that's the effect of sin. The relationship fractures. It sours. It becomes difficult. Toil for the man. Broken relationship between God and the man, God and the woman, and the man and the woman. And, and that's why if you say biblical marriage, you don't have a lot of couples to point to in the Bible. You ever thought about that? Like which marriage do you want to highlight in the Bible? Abraham and Sarah? <laughs> really? You remember where he's like, yeah, that's my sister. You can have her. I mean, did y'all blow past that text? My wife's a gracious woman. I just have to believe that she would bring that up again. Like if we got in a disagreement where I'd be like, baby, I'm not, no. I just feel like Lauren would, and Lauren's amazing. I just think she was like, remember that time you tried to whore me out as your sister? And then I, you just lose every argument for the rest of your life, don't you? So you're gonna highlight Abraham and Sarah? No, you, you can't. Who, who, who do you want? You wanna highlight Noah? I don't have time to do this, so I'm gonna stop. But who who you wanna pick? Who you got? Let me answer it. You don't really have a good one. Maybe Peter, maybe. So you, you have to come back here and go, man, yeah, sin really did a number on what God's intent was for the man and the woman. And so when we see the Me Too movement and we see all these things, we see the kind of abuse, you see the things that we're seeing right now, Christians shouldn't be surprised by this. We shouldn't be participating in it. We shouldn't be surprised by it. We know why. We know it because sin has entered the cosmos and it's broken what God meant to be beautiful. And so here, here's, I want to spend my time or my last 23 with you. In the Song of Solomon, just a beautiful little book right there in the wisdom literature. Um, you, you get this picture, and, and, I, and I think it's an important picture, of kind of God putting things together in the way that I think he wants to put it together. And, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this. Um, the English word for love is like a junk drawer word. Have you ever picked up on that? Like we love everything. If you listen to people talk, they love tacos, they love their football team, they love their wives, and they love their kids. We're not really saying the same thing, I hope. Right? Like you're like, man, I love fajitas. How's your teenage daughter doing? Oh, I love that girl. You're, you're not saying that you love your teenage daughter like you love fajitas. I hope. But the Hebrews and the Greeks, they didn't have this issue. They had all sorts of words to describe what they were talking about. I think what you see in the psalm is in, or in the song is in particular these three Hebrew words that are dancing with one another. And, and the reason I want to use that language that they're dancing with one another is because they're not linear. And the reason it's important not to, to understand that they're not linear is if things are linear, you're leaving behind and moving towards something. But when they're dancing, they're all three ever present. And, and so it's not like you can talk, if you know the Greek words, it's not like you can have philo, you can have this friendship love, but then you can move on and have eros love and you're not friends anymore because you're now at eros. That would be linear, but that's not how God's designed this to work. The, the words dance around one another. They're used frequently regardless of the season, except the last word, which is dode, which is the mingling of souls. And so I wanna just highlight these three Hebrew words. And for the record, I know just enough Hebrew to be dangerous with it, Right? 
So I think there are far more Hebrew words for love. These are the three most common in the song. The, the first one is the Hebrew word raya. Uh, and here's what the word means. The, the word is friend or companion. Uh, and here's, here's places you see it, not just in the song, but in the Old Testament. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend rayas at all times. They love at all times. In Song of Song 516, this is my raya and this is my friend. It's a deep friendship. It's a getting to know, right? It's the base of the dance. So without raya, without friendship, without I see you, I'm getting to know you, I'm growing in a knowledge of you, you never get to God's good design. Are you with me? Without the base of raya, Without the base of, I see you as a man or woman made in the image of God. I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm understanding you. I I get it. I I want to get to know you. Without Raya, you can't move forward. You you can have sex and not have Raya, but you didn't have Dode. You didn't mingle souls. You did a physical act, which is a cheap substitute for God's good design. And And raya, if we're building or we're dancing and not in a linear fashion, you you move from raya to one of my favorites, ahava. One is just fun to say. Try it. Ahava. And ahava is a love of the will. It it translates, um, yeah, it translates literally like a love of the will. And so here's where it is in the song. And this is probably one of my favorite little parts of this poetic outlay of this couple's love relationship. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for ahava is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love or ahava. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love, all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So I want to talk about Ahava. Ahava is where we're going to kind of get our idea, our concept of covenant. It's not, although it'd be like a, it, it sounds romantic. It's not, it's not kind of that kind of romantic word, right? It's not like a word you're going to throw out on a date because Ahava is more like, I've seen you're crazy and I'm staying, right? I mean, I don't know how else to describe the word. Um, if you think about this in the way that relationships usually work, you're growing in friendship. And then there's this moment early on where you see the other person's crazy. Are you tracking with me? We're like, everything seems magical. And you're like, oh, this is the perfect person. I think this might be the one. And then there's this moment, right? It's at dinner. It's at a party. It's so, and, and you see something and you're like, red flag. Now, at that moment, you punt, you eject, you ghost, or you enter into Ahava. Ahava is, I've seen you're crazy, and I'm not going anywhere. It's, again, it's that idea where we get covenant. It's, I've seen that you're not perfect. I'm, I'm not romanticizing who you are. I see and I know this thing that you do, that's going to get on my nerves for as long as you do it, but I'm in. Right? It's huge. Ahava, it's a love of the will. I also think it's the safety net for where God takes you next and where this dance goes. So from friendship, you move to um, a love of the will. I'm just deciding that I'm with you. 
and I'm going to be with you, and, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to care for you, and, and I'm deciding that. It's not just a, a, a flippy emotion. Like, I'm, in, I'm putting roots in here. All right, and I know, and I know you're crazy. <laughs> I'm staying. And then if those things are in the dance, then finally you got a shot at Dode. And, and Dode, if you, if you like just translate it like it's supposed to be translated, it's uh, to carouse, to fondle, to rock, or to mingle. And it was that last word, mingle, that, that kind of captivated my imagination uh, because the idea of the mingling of souls I thought it was just a better story than any other story about relationships out there. And, and if this dance is happening, then, then I know my wife. I know her. She's my friend. And I'm going to continue because we don't just move past that on into love of the will. It's not like we're not friends anymore. I'm just committed to you. No, no, they're both present. Like we're growing in this friendship. Because I can tell you this about my wife. She's been five different women since we got married. Like, no one, that's not been in any premarital material I've found, right? There was Lauren pre-kids, and then there was Lauren one kid, Lauren two kid, Lauren three kid, right? Those are, di- like, completely different women. They're all godly. I've loved each and every one of them, but they've liked different things. They've disliked different things. They've, that stuff's confusing, man. And, and I don't know how many Matt Chandler she's been married to, right? Certainly not just one, but, but you don't leave behind friendship to get to commitment. It's commitment in that friendship, in cultivating that and growing that. And, and if that's part of the dance, then you got your shot at dode or the mingling of souls, which is when sex should come into the relationship. Why? Because if raya and ahava is there, you will never have sex with a physical body alone. You will always see the person, cherish the person, love the person, delight in the person, and not the act alone. Men, look at me. You can still use your wife for sex. That's not what God has for you. It's not. What God has for you is the deep intermingling of soul on soul for his glory and your joy. And, and I'm aware that we live in a Genesis 3 world and there's a thousand factors that can complicate this. I'm, I'm, I've been in pastoral ministry for 20-something years. I'm not naive to the, the what can happen if there's abuse in the background or, or if there's these other things in the background or, or physically, physical pain is present. So I, so I know that, but God's design is that where friendship is cultivated and commitment is firm, dode becomes more possible. And, and I think all of this um, all of this, I, I think, has to be considered and thought about within the confines of the, the Christian concept of covenant. We, we live in a world that, that does contracts. That, that's what we do. We do contracts, right? In fact, I would just argue your whole life is dominated by contracts. If you've got a, a cell phone, more than likely, you have a contract for that phone. Uh, and, and if you have an apartment or a house, you, you have a lease or a mortgage. And if you have a car that you didn't pay cash for, you have like all, all these things are contractual. And the way that contracts work is, is that you are provided something. And in that provision, you have to give something in return. Uh, and so you are given Wi-Fi and, and you are given cell service. And you're given that cell service because you're paying this much a month for it. And if you stop paying that, then you're going to lose your cell service, Right. And if you have a car, you're paying for that car on the terms of the contract. You stop paying for that. Somebody's going to come get your car. 
And, and because we live in a contractual world, I think one of the things that happens is we kind of bring that same idea into our relationships where they're more contractual. It's like, I'm going to be this for you if you'll be this for me, right? I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. But man, that's not God's design. It's not God's plan. It's not what God's built. And in fact, can you think about how mortified you would be if you went to the wedding and, and in the most, I think the most important part of the wedding, the, the exchanging of vows, they turned and faced one another and gave contractual vows rather than covenantal vows. Imagine the horror. Like if you're, you're sitting there, you're in the crowd. I mean, there she is. That, that's your girl, man. And that dress is like crazy. That's your guy, man. I mean, you, you knew him since high school. And they turn and they face one another and he starts by going, all right, um, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to stay with you as long as when I get home from work, you've got dinner waiting for me. And she counters with, "Uh, okay, I'll tell you what. I will be faithful to you. I will love you. I will stay with you. I will care for you. But you only get dinner three nights a week. And the other two nights, we go out um, to a restaurant. I've got a list. You ain't taking me to Golden Corral. I got a list. And then he counters with, oh, okay, I could probably, let me, yeah, I could probably make that work if we have sex four times a week. And she says, no. And he says, three times a week? Probably not. All right, how about we cuddle and we see a movie? Maybe. And, and they, like, what would, like, wouldn't you want to, I would want to go get the gift I brought and leave. Because they're just going to sell my toaster oven on uh, Amazon like four months from then. But, but that's not what we, have you ever thought about how crazy the vows we make are? On the most romantic day of our lives, we say, this could go bad and I'm not going anywhere. Like, why do you say that on the most romantic day of your life? For better or for worse, aren't you confessing in front of everyone you know that this could go bad? And, and then don't you counter that within, in sickness and health? Why on the most romantic day of your life are you even thinking about the fact that one of you might get sick in such a way as to put tension and strain on the relationship? Richer or poorer? You know, hey, we're, like, we're, we're in this together. That, that language is profoundly powerful language because what you do in that moment is before God and everyone else, you're saying, I ahava you. And look at me, there's nothing more romantic and nothing sexier than ahava. Why? How much fear do we have to live under and in if our spouse isn't saying, you know what? If we've got the most expensive soda, I'm, I know I'm at the arrows, soda imaginable, I'm drinking it with you, but if we're splitting a Dr. Thunder, I'm doing that with you also. If we live in 800 square feet with no yard, I'm doing that with you. And if we've got a mansion by the sea, I'm doing that with you. If we, if we live to be 90 and you've got six-pack abs and you're chiseled like some kind of Adonis, which you've never been mad, but if that happens somehow miraculously by the power of the ghost, I'm doing that with you. Or if you trade in that six-pack for a keg and you're frumpy and I'm, I'm doing that with you. You're my person. You're my person. Like that, that idea, you're my 
whatever comes. Now, I, I got to live this. Uh, I am, I have got a ton of energy. Like, it can be a problem. Like, I, I kind of, like, hum internally. I'm like, mm. and, and Lauren will oftentimes call me the rec coordinator. You know, she's at home going, clean your room, do this. And I get home, I'll back everybody on the trampoline. And, uh, and, and so, and then I do my best to, to serve my bride as much and as often as I can. And then nine years ago, uh, I had a seizure, had basically my right frontal lobe removed and started 18 months of chemo. And I think everything that's fun and lively and engaging vanished. And instead, I'm laying on the bathroom floor trying to muster up enough strength to pull myself back up to the toilet to vomit again. And anything sexy about me was gone. And thank God for a love that's rooted in covenant and ahava because in that moment, Lauren said, I'm not going anywhere. And I've said before, I've never tried to hide it because I think it's not good. It's not gospelly to hide it. The first seven years of my marriage alone were very difficult years. And in fact, there were a couple of times I'm laying in my bed at night going, oh my God, is this the rest of my life? And I, listen, she's not laying beside me going, all my dreams have come true. <laughs> so I can assure you of that. And, and, and what held us together in those days was the covenant that we had to lean into through lean years to get to where we are in this season of life, which is these things growing in spades. God's good design for man and woman in the marriage relationship is deep cultivated friendship protected by covenant faithfulness that leads to the opportunity of the mingling of souls. I want to encourage you to pursue that. And I know we're in different places and different spaces and our marriages that are in different seasons. Like I'm looking around the room. Some of us have been married a year. Some of us are still single. Some of us have been married 30 years, 40 years. You know, they, like we're all over uh, the map. But here, here's what's great. Like because Jesus is always changing us. Do you understand? Are you tracking with me on that? Because Jesus is always changing us. There, there's always hope and there's always something new to learn about your spouse. Because he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it, which means I've got another, by the grace of God, 30 or 40 years to get to know Lauren Chandler and to celebrate Christ in her and to cultivate a friendship with her and figure out what makes her laugh now because that's annoying now, so I've got to figure out, right, right? I mean, that's just real talk, right? Like, the worst thing you can ever say to my wife is, I bet you laugh all the time at home. She's like, oh, yeah, it's just a blast. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, you, you heard it twice. I've heard it 4,000 times, right? But this is the opportunity that you have regardless of season, regardless of but like what the Spirit of God does is he steps, he steps into these broken, weird spaces and he starts to work. But, but can we confess? I'll, I'll confess it. Like, I just sometimes want him to work faster. Like, like sometimes I'm just wondering, like, why are you, why are you moving so slow? I'm, I'm, I see it. I see what you're after. Why won't you speed this thing up? And, and it wasn't until I preached the book of Exodus that I figured out why. When God is leading his people out of slavery, I don't know if you remember this passage, but he takes them the long way around so that they wouldn't see the Philistines and lose heart. I just, that, that passage just, I'm like, okay, your pace. 
Who knows what I would have seen and lost heart in and, and punted and gave up on had I done it my way. You did it your way. I'm grateful that you did it that way. And so I want to encourage and speak life into you tonight. If you're in a season of your marriage where it's just difficult and you're like roommates right now, not roommates that are getting along, not happy roommates, I, I want you to lean in. I think God has this for you. Start by cultivating relationships. Don't start, don't start at the end. Like a better sex life doesn't fix everything wrong in your heart. Are you tracking with me on that? That's a lie from the world. Cultivate deep friendship. Lean into the promises you made on that day. Be patient as God works. Trust that he is good. I think if marriages with Jesus all over it could look like that to the world, how odd would we be? Like, isn't that crazy that the world's so broken that if you just love your wife and then speak highly about him, that that's, that's weird? Like, if, I don't know if you pay attention, but one of the things I've just learned in different settings is, is the world, they, they usually aren't talking positively about their spouses. What would it be like to just be an expert in the strength of your spouse? I mean, how awkward are you going to make conversations with the guys at the office? How weird are things going to get at coffee with the ladies? Like, oh gosh, he's doing that thing again. Where he's on, and you're like, man, I'm so sorry. Let me tell you what my man. Dad gum, my man. I'm like, what if we were marked by that? Let me, let me tell you what's excellent and praiseworthy about the bride, about the husband that God has given to me. Now you can be an expert in their weaknesses. That's a way you can go. I think when you do that, though, what you start to do is you start to be more aware of your strengths and start to partake, you start to you know, kind of go, here are my strengths and their weaknesses. And, and again, where are you headed with that? So if I could just lay before you a task, if I could give you homework. I, I would, if you're married, I, I, I see people I know in here that are not married, um, but it, if you are married, why don't you, homework tonight, eh, just write out, these are the strengths of my spouse. And then this is going to be crazy. You might not even trust me on this. You should tell them. You should just tell them. You should be like, hey, I want, I want to talk to you. I'm like, oh gosh, what did I do? No, no, no. No, no. I love the way you do this. I've just noticed this, that you do this for me. It's so I see it. I just want you to hear me say, I see it and I'm thankful that you're willing to love, serve. I, I see the way you step into this space with our children. I see, it. and listen, every wife, every husband in this room has issues, blind spots, and brokenness, right? Can we just get that out of the way? Nobody here married the perfect man. It's like the perfect church. Once you got there, you ruined it, right? So, so we're all broken. We've all got these blind spots. So what if we, we knew those were there, we were trusting the Lord to sanctify those things while we became experts in the strengths of our spouse? Let let me just end with this, and then I'm going to pray for us. If you are in a relationship where you are being physically abused, spiritually manipulated and tormented, emotionally scandalized, I want you to get help and not hear anything I said today as trapping you in what I believe is a demonic, evil situation. It's one that God can work in, but I, 
I can't have a man quote me tonight as leverage to continue to abuse. And so if you're in that kind of relationship, find a safe harbor and, and get help. A man that quotes the Bible to you to dominate, scare, uses physical presence to intimidate, that is not God's good design. That is not raya ahava and dod. That, that is something evil and something not in step with what God has for you in Christ. We got it? Let me pray for us. Father, you know every heart in this room. You know every background, every story, every high, every low, every hope, every unfulfilled hope. And so I just want to ask you, Holy Spirit, will you minister to hearts in this room? I don't even know where all that'll be and what all that'll be, but you do. And I think I don't have to know because you do. So I pray for um, husbands that maybe walk in shame. And in that shame, they've begun to live out in angry ways and manipulative ways. Pray you'd convict their hearts. Pray for my sisters in this place. Just pray comfort and peace. I had a mother who had such high hopes for my daddy. Prayed and waited and prayed and fasted and waited and prayed and fasted and waited and I have a sense of what it must be like to want so much more for. And just pray that you'd save them from trying to be the Holy Spirit, but instead be prayerful and kind and experts in their husband's strength. For those of us that you've given us with one another and and the seasons have been sweet and this season in particular is filled with joy, we bless your name. That's not because we're great, it's because you're great not because we've figured out some magic. It's because you and your mercy have made a way. And there's a thousand other things going on in this room. I praise you that you know them. You're speaking to them. You're moving in them. And I bless you. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. For your beautiful name, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Podcast so you can keep up with the latest episodes. And come back next week for a sobering and hopeful discussion about infertility.